Well, good morning. This was um, a heavy week for me and my family. My father, Robert Paul, he died on Wednesday night. Um, He ended up dying of COVID, uh, although he was very ill, very sick from a number of things. Uh, So there's sadness in our family. There's a huge void that's left there. Uh, But there is um, comfort that we have that he's no longer struggling. His uh, faith... His faith was in Jesus. I, there was a, a, a number of times where we weren't sure, you know, how he was doing. And I asked him at one point a while back, are you at peace with God? And he said uh, that he was and that his faith was in Jesus. And I asked him specifically, I said, do you have any hope other than Jesus? And he said, no, I have no hope other than Jesus and uh, neither do I. So, um, so I, we take comfort in that. So I want to thank you for all the expressions of love and sympathy that you've given me and my family this week. And, um, and God is good, that in life and, and death we are the Lord's possession indeed, as his word says. So let's pray. Father, as we approach your word, it regrounds us. It drives us back to that which is true. And we do have hope because you are a living God and we have a living hope. So we put our hope and our trust in you in this time. Guide us as we search your word. Teach us, Lord. Thank you for your goodness and your love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So it was was a heavy week in our family, but then a heavy week in our nation. Also on Wednesday, there was uh, riots at the Capitol building. If you've been living under a rock, there was a mob of people who attacked the U.S. Capitol building, breaking windows, uh, looting, uh, assaulting police. In the events, I believe uh, four or five people have died, including uh, one of the officers. Uh, it is sad and confusing and infuriating when you see these images and when we experience these things. Um, so because of everything going on, on this week, I haven't had you know a great deal of time to reflect and analyze what this all means and how I... Uh, process these things through the eyes of of faith in Jesus. Uh, But I do want to comment briefly on it, uh, particularly in light of this sermon series. So when (laughs) it's funny, we, we, I plan these things out and I I pray over, you know, what's uh, where we want to focus over the next number of weeks and months in the life of our church. And I think it's, it's not going to be relevant. You know, preaching Amos, this prophet, and it's the sins of the nation. And I'm not sure this is going to go anywhere. And then, boom, here we are. And then uh, we're looking at God's posture towards nations of the world, uh, towards his people, uh, Judah and Israel, and as well as the, the foreign nations. You know, last week we talked about our responsibility, you know, that we do have a responsibility collectively for the sins of our world and our community and our land. Uh, But we also have individual responsibility for our own behavior and actions. And we can err. It's easy to err on either side. Um, So, you know, we're trying to understand it and find this balance. So my first comment about Wednesday, and I shouldn't even have to say this, um, but in these days I feel compelled to say publicly that, you know, the actions taken by the rioters was uh, reprehensible, unconscionable. It was wrong. And without excuse, there's no excuse for that uh, type of violence. Um, so that I just—that's the first thought that I feel compelled to have to say. The the 
the other thing which was interesting was Thursday morning, um, on my commute from my house to the gym, I like to listen to news kind of talk radio. And if you know where I live and you know where the gym is, you know that's a three-minute ride. So that's about the extent of uh, commentary that I take in on any given day, um, at least through that format. And what do I hear? Just hours after the events, I hear uh, comparisons. So now it's comparisons between demonstrations and riots from opposite ideologies. Whose were more evil? Um, what kind of response of law enforcement? Uh, how do these things get covered in the media? Like, whose who's rioting was less evil than the others? And I'm thinking, oh my goodness. Um, there's no real high moral ground to stand on here. Um, whose riots are more or less evil? You realize you're comparing forms of violence and it's all disgusting. This is where we need the gospel of Jesus Christ to speak to the, the reality of our world. Um, whatever moral ground that people think they stand on, and really whatever moral ground you think you stand on because of your ideologies and your view of uh, government and politics, it needs to be confronted with the truth of the gospel. The word gospel means good news. The good news of Jesus Christ speaks into the bad news of our lives that we all sin and we all fall short of God's glory. That not one of us stands on high moral ground. Not one of us gets it right. And that we all need salvation. We need to be saved by Jesus. We live in a, a broken relationship with the creator of the world. And because of that brokenness, if we, do not, if we are not saved out of that sin and death and brokenness, then it's just going to spiral into um, chaos, hatred, violence. That's where all these things come from. They all come from a broken relationship with the God of the universe, and we need the salvation of Jesus Christ, which, com which comes through his work accomplished on the cross. We receive it by faith. It's his grace alone. And otherwise, we just will spiral away. Now, political ideologies, if you take them to their extremes on whatever side of the spectrum, when they're taken to their extremes, they do lead to chaos and they do lead to violence. Inevitably, they do. If you stretch them too far, because a political ideology, all that it can do is help you kind of govern and organize and make policy and kind of control of of order, or it gives some sort of law to your land, but it can't hold all the weight of hope. It can't hold all the weight of um, understanding the purpose of life and understanding eternity. It just, these the systems are, can be good and helpful, but you cannot uh, take them to their extremes because, in essence, all government is a form of power and control, whether order or otherwise, and when you become, when you feel like you're losing control or that you are, um, you don't have power, you have to sort of act out or you have to, you, have, you just grasp for whatever and in its extremes that can turn violent. Our hope is in King Jesus eternal. It's a totally different system. Um, when Jesus came, people were really disappointed in his uh, political views. His followers wanted him to take down Rome. Like, you're the leader. We're taking down Rome. We're going to be independent. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not of this world. Again, it's not that 
political systems are unimportant, but they are not ultimate things. And when we make them ultimate things, they inevitably will fail us. So we turn to God's word, his truth, unchanging. And we turn to his word this morning. We turn to the prophet Amos, uh, prophet 8th century before Christ. And we started last week. If you're behind a week on sermons, catch up. Uh, It's very easy to get online and, and watch church. My dad was at church last week, you know, watching on his phone from the hospital. So you have no excuse. Uh, you, you need to catch up. So I'm just going to say it that way. Um, here's a nation of people. God sends a messenger to this nation of people, Israel. They had lost their way. They were taking their cues from the world around them. They were starting to pattern their life, meaning the way they conducted business, the way that they worshipped, the way that they governed and their law courts all looked a lot more like the world around them, didn't look like God's law that he had specifically given them. He had given them a perfect law, and they, they were living not according to God's law. And they were taking their cues from the culture around them. This is a dire situation, and in comes the prophet Amos, and he brings a word of judgment against these people. Whatever challenges we have in understanding these ancient texts and applying them to our day today, what we do know is that the Old Testament is our teacher. The Old Testament helps us to see God's heart. And so the question for us today is, are we going to repeat the mistakes of the past, or are we going to learn from past mistakes and pattern our lives differently? Um, for them, they ignored it. They, they really largely ignored Amos's message. Why would they care? This prophet was annoying. They were pretty safe. They were pretty powerful. They were fairly prosperous, uh, at least a certain segment of the population, and they didn't have a lot of worries. Uh, so they just ignored it. But we, what will, how will we handle God's word? So today, looking at the last two judgments against nations. Remember from last week, uh, six, there was, we looked at the judgments against six foreign nations, and now these last two nations, these are no longer foreign nations. These are God's people. This is Judah and Israel. So let's start with Judah. Let's take a look at the judgment against them. Now, and remember, Judah is still not the main focus of this message. This is a message to Israel, but we're sort of zeroing in on, on Israel. So Judah is the sister nation. In verse 4, it says, This is what the Lord says, For three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not relent, because they have rejected the law of the Lord, and they have not kept his decrees because they have been led astray by false gods, the gods their ancestors followed. The other nations, the foreign nations, they were judged against sort of a universal standard of the dignity of human life. They were committing crimes against um, other nations by enslaving them or desecrating their bodies in graves and um, killing women and their unborn children. Just, cri- just crimes against basic human uh, dignity. But here we see Judah. So you know what? Your crime is that you had God's law. You should have known better, and you ignored that law. They have rejected the law of the Lord. God's word is the ultimate guide. It is the ultimate thing. And anything else that you make ultimate simply cannot hold the weight of um, of all of your hope and all of your view of the world. It just can't hold it, but God's word can. When those other things become ultimate, they really, even if there's truth in it, it becomes a lie to you because you're putting too much hope in it. 
And this is where it really does parallel with these ideas of politics and political systems. You cannot stretch them further than they are meant to handle. We've got a picture here of a, of a, a chair that I bought. I was on a, a mission trip to Mexico, and I bought this yellow hammock chair. That's little Calvin, by the way, back in the day. And we hung it uh, from the swing set, and it was, I bought it in the market in Juarez. I got a really good deal on it. It was handmade, and it's well-crafted, and I was really happy. I brought this thing home to the kids, and it's meant to be sat in and, and to take a little siesta. It's a wonderful hammock chair. We did not use it that way. We started piling uh, multiple people into the chair, doing underdogs, you know, pushing it, spinning it, and it was just, ha-ha. And there's Cal, you see, he has kind of a shiner on his, on his eye there he, uh, from getting bonked uh, in there. And he... Um, so we, put, we, were, we stretched it beyond its ability to hold weight. And then we had guests over, a family member, I won't say which family member, was over. And she sat into the hammock chair, and it just snapped and broke. It wasn't her fault. She was well within the capacity of the chair as it's originally made, but we had just stretched it beyond its ability. And that's what happens when we start to put our hope in a system, whether it's a political system, whether we put our hope in a person or a leader or an individual, if we put too much of our hope and all of our aspirations onto that, it will collapse under that weight. You just cannot stretch it that far. And here, this is a nation of people who abandon God's law and the judgment of God's fire is coming against them. They had the perfect system. They had, who could hold all the weight of their hope in their lives and they, they turn from it. And that's their judgment. Now, to Israel. Here we go. This is the last nation. And the rest of the writing, it really is primarily targeted towards the nation of Israel. And picture this. This prophet comes to town. He's judging all these foreign nations. And you don't, you, he, it probably wasn't a written prophecy to start. He probably stood up and spoke these words and then collected his uh, sermons or his, uh, his prophecy into this book that we call Amos. So picture Amos standing there, and he's just going after all these nations. And you could hear the listeners in Israel, yeah, those foreign nations, they're bad. And then your, it's foreign nations, and then cousin nations, and then it's your sister nation of Judah. What they're expecting is that they are going to be the agents of God's judgment. All the fire and all the destruction. Israel, you're going to bring the destruction of these foreign nations. So they're just, you can just see them. They're ready to, ready to hear this message. And here's the message they get. You are not the instrument of judgment here. You are the object of judgment. Worse than all the other nations. You're not the executioner. You are the target because you've been trampling the innocent and the poor. Those other nations, they were abusing their nation, their neighbors. They were uh, taking foreign people and enslaving them. They were killing, mercilessly killing other nations. But you, Israel, are mistreating your own people, your own brothers and sisters. You are trampling them underfoot. You are abusing the poor and the helpless. So basically, what was going on is in Israel, there, were, there was a wealthy class, there was those who had the political power, and they were using it to specifically damage and take advantage of weaker members of their society. And here's the judgment against them. Now, you'll notice, we're going to just look through it sort of step by step, but 
you'll notice that this is not a call for a peasant revolt. It wasn't asking the poor to to rise up against the, the wealthy and the powerful. That's not what it is. It's also not um, a a description of a social reform that's going to eradicate all the systems of evil. This is also not a condemnation of the wealthy. It's not saying, oh, wealthy, bad, uh, poor, good, and righteous. It's not, that's not it. There's, There's no condemnation against the wealthy simply for being wealthy. Scripture assumes, and even God's law assumed, that his people would include both the wealthy and the poor. That wasn't the issue. And Jesus said the same thing. He said, you're always going to have the poor. It's not about that wealth or poverty exists. It's about how the wealthy treat the poor. And God's law had all the systems in place for the poor to be cared for. But there's a great, um, they're just ignoring God's law in this matter. So it's not about condemning the wealthy. What this is, it's an indictment. It's a statement. It's saying, uh, you have been exploiting weak people in ways that are contrary to my law. This is just a straight-up indictment, statement of, um, of justice against these, against these injustices, the exploitation of the weak. So specifically, in verse 6, we see that it says, they sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Basically, somebody with a very small debt, a pair of sandals, was getting punished greatly. You get sold into, um, you get sold into slavery, essentially, for having the smallest debt. In verse 7, you're trampling on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground. Instead of having regard for the poor and regard for the less fortunate, they're just trampling all over them. Uh, verse 7 again, they deny justice to the oppressed. You know, not everybody got the same system of judgment. If you were in a law court in this day in Israel, the wealthy were just, uh, could obliterate the poor because they just, couldn't, they just simply couldn't defend themselves. Then in verse 7, we see sexual sin. It says, Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. This is an image of abuse of a household servant by both father and son, violating God's law at many points. And just if, and it specifically says this profanes God's name. If you want to make God look bad, then sexual abuse is a good way to do it. Because there's nothing that makes God look worse because he made humanity and the human body for good purposes. And he has a proper design and order for these things. And when we rebel against that, it rebels against God's design and it makes God look really bad in their day and in our day. And then in verse 8, it says, they lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. So here's an image of the, the wealthy, and they're in their place of worship, which is really kind of a false temple anyway, but it's long story. But they're in their place of worship, and they're drinking wine that, was, that they took as a fine from poor people, and the, the garment that was you know, collateral for whatever promise that couldn't be kept. They got the garments of the poor. So they're lying on the poor people's clothes, drinking the poor people's wine, and having a great time at the expense of the weak, at the cost of the poor. You take all these things together and you see this is a people, there was, a, there was a, an abandoning God's truth led to a breakdown in society. Abandoning God's truth leads to a breakdown in society in every day. 
This is particularly egregious because God had been so good and so loving to these people. Verse 9 says, Yet I destroyed the Amorites before them. They were tall as cedars, strong as oaks. I destroyed their, their fruit above, the roots below. I brought you out of Egypt. I led you for 40 years in the wilderness to give you the land of the Amorites. I also raised up prophets from among your children, Nazarites from among your youths. Is this not true, people of Israel? He said, look, I destroyed your enemies. I saved you. I cared for you for many years. I gave you spiritual leaders. I gave you uh, these prophets and these Nazarites. I gave you good spiritual guides. And this is how you treat each other? This is rejecting God's grace. It's rejecting the prophets. It's rejecting his law. It's rejecting God. What a contrast between how God treated them and how they were treating one another. As people of faith in, every, in, in Amos' day and in our day, we remember that God, what God has done for us, that Jesus Christ gave his very life, that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we, in view of God's mercy, that's how we now live our lives. In view of God's mercy, we can live our lives as a living sacrifice, as, as lives that serve one another, that love as God loved. And we love because he loved us, and we, his love, he said, love as I have loved you. This is, we can never forget what God has done for us and what God has brought us through. That's why it's been really dangerous those last couple of weeks where people are saying things like, yeah, 2020, is, we survived 2020, it's over. Now 2020, you know, we, we made it, and now this, uh, everything ahead is, is looking good. And say, look, God brought you through a very difficult year. Don't drop your faith now. If you needed faith then, you're gonna, that's the same faith that will sustain you through. Don't forget, it was your trust in him and his faithfulness to you that helped you to get through that and to bring you forward. Do not forget where the Lord has brought you. And here's a group of people who've just sort of forgot where God brought them. So they get their message of judgment from the prophet. Their sins are, sins are named, judgment's pronounced, and, and that's it. Now sometimes people say to me after church, they say, hey, pastor, great message, good, good sermon. I wish my husband was here to hear that. Or they'll say, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send a link of that message to my boss. My boss needs to hear this message. Uh, sermons are always great as long as they're directed at someone else. Here's Amos' message, and he's calling out the sins of this nation. Uh, this message could be for any one of us. And how much more for them who had God's law and who had experienced God's deliverance, how much more for us who know what God was willing to do for us on the cross. Just as God called the prophets to remind the people of his deliverance, God, Jesus gave his life for us. And then in, in view of God's mercy, we live our lives. So here's your takeaway. This message is for you. This is what you're going to do this week. Pray. In three parts. Lament, confess, and hope. Lament. When you see the condition of our world, when you see these images on the news, when you see things that are disturbing, lament. God, this breaks my heart. I'm saddened to see this. Lord, why? It just, just the words of lament poured out to the Lord. 
that the things that break his heart break your heart too. And then secondly, confess anything in your heart that is apart from God's law, any hatred you have towards another person or any judgment that you place, just confess your sins to the Lord. Anything that you believe that you've contributed to this mess we're in. And we've all contributed in small ways or big ways, but confess them all to the Lord. And thirdly, hope. Pray prayers of hope. Remembering that the Lord is still on his throne. Remembering that we still have the ultimate kingdom that we are a part of. That God is still advancing his good works in this world in spite of these things that we lament and the things that we confess, that we do have hope. And then we go. You finish praying like that and then you go and you are a person of grace, speaking words of grace, speaking words of healing, speaking words of life. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you that our hope is not in the systems of this world, but is in your kingdom, in your very living presence, that you are our living hope, and we cling to that, Lord. So I pray, Lord, that you would prompt our prayers this week to just seek your kingdom first. And, and Father, as, as your word says, that we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, and everything else that we need will be given. May it be. May we be your people. May we stand for truth. In Jesus' name, amen.